Hello and welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. There might not be an IndyCar race this weekend or last weekend for that matter, but JR Hildebrand and I are still here. You can rely on us. We're always here for you. Unless you're Marcus Ericsson and we leave you out of the top 10 mid-season driver rankings. <laughs> Luckily, since then, Marcus has made us look very silly and is here to rub that in our face, I hope. <laughs> But just kidding, we had a we had a good long chat and some fun about that. And uh, as ever, Marcus is one of the nicest and great kind of personality guys in the IndyCar paddock. So of course, we've got him on to the show to talk to us about his IndyCar season. Marcus, thanks for joining us. And yeah, you're a great sport and uh, we have to give you all the credit you deserve today. There's no uh, no way to beat around the bush for us. We just have to, we just have to say you've had a great season. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. And, and thanks for the extra motivation, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're taking we're taking credit for these uh for this brilliant run you're on because if we uh if we hadn't missed you out the rankings you wouldn't be uh, performing so well exactly <laughs> jr i'm sure you um i'm sure you know we've talked about this on the podcast already but marcus has had a a great few races and i know you're keen to um, ask him some questions about his season so far as well yeah i mean i want to i want to jump back a little bit just back to the beginning of 2020 you just joined chip ganassi racing uh, sort of tell us about the inception of the number eight team. You know, everything's new, and how you how you feel like as a group. You guys have progressed since then. Yeah, so obviously joining a team like Chip Ganassi Racing was a it's a big thing for me. You know, it's one of the best teams in, in the series and and also in like the racing world. So it was uh, yeah, big step for me. Uh, but like you said, the, the the thing with me joining there was that we had to create a new team within the team. Uh, the eight car was not uh, there the year before. So uh, at the same time that winter, they had closed down the 4GT program that they were running in Ganassi. So uh, a lot of the guys naturally came from the GT program and joined the the, the number eight car. And uh, some of them had past experience of, of IndyCar and some didn't. But, uh, you know, it, it was a new team within the team and it took a bit of time for us to sort of start yelling together and then sort of iron out all the the the, the yeah things you sort of have to iron out when you when you start fresh and um, and also for me you know I was still you know it was only my second year in, in IndyCar and, and such a tough series it sort of takes some time to to get into the racing so I think uh, with, with all that and also being a COVID year with not a lot of testing and then short race weekends it definitely took us a bit of time but I still thought we we made some really good progress and we had some really solid results. I think I had nine top tens uh, last year. So we still had a solid year, you know, but uh, obviously the, the, the highs wasn't very high. It was more like a solid, solid year in, with some, some solid results, but still with that in mind and knowing we went into a second year together, I was still very hopeful to, to be able to be, to be strong this year and, and, and show a bit more what we can do. And that's why I'm being very happy to see the sort of step we've taken this season. For sure. I mean, I, I'm curious, just your past experience before you came over to IndyCar, like any race car driver, you're used to kind of bouncing around to different teams and joining different groups, particularly as you're sort of following the ladder on the way up. Um, I, you, you mentioned Chip Ganassi Racing as sort of like a, a globally recognized, just great organization. How does it compare? So I've you know been around F1 teams enough just around like the the at the circuits to kind of say to kind of sort of realize like okay yeah you see you see this crazy amount of development and all the stuff that's going on back at the shop but then you know the folks that you're around the mechanics the engineers at the track it it doesn't feel that different from what we're doing 
day to day at the racetrack here, you know, in the IndyCar series, just the sort of the professionalism and the level of Chip Ganassi racing. Can you compare that to your experience in Europe and, and sort of around Formula One? Yeah, I, I felt straight away, I think, with, with Ganassi that, you know, it felt like a, more like an F1 team, not wanting to talk bad about Schmidt Peterson. You know, it was it was also a great experience there, but I felt like it was definitely a, uh, a step up coming to Ganassi and, you know, the way they were operating and, and the attention to details in, in everything they do. And their headquarters here in, in, in Indianapolis is very you know, very high level. So I definitely felt like it was F1 standards on, on, on everything there. But also what I felt and what I loved was the mentality in Ganassi. You know, it was like, you know, Ship always says I like winners and that really runs through the whole company and the whole organization and, and, and all the people there, you know, they they work to win and that's all they do. And I think that mentality really runs through the whole the whole organization, which I think is really cool. And, and one telling example of that was after... Last season, you know, you just won the championship with, with Dixie and you would think that, you know, everyone was going to be, you know, super happy with that. And of course, everyone was happy, but then straight away, it was such a big push to improve on the areas we, we needed to improve for this season. And, you know, just that sort of hunger to always be better and always improve and, and you know, always focus on the next race or the next season has been impressive to see since I came here. I guess you can't really talk about Ganassi without talking about Scott. He's been a, bit, a big part of it for so long now. And, you know, I guess you knew coming into this year that your teammate is arguably the the kind of greatest driver of IndyCar's modern era, really. And that's kind of like a given. So there's a bit of pressure there to kind of reach that level, but also a bit of leeway because people just know at what, you know, what a high level and how much experience Dixon, you know, kind of has at this level. But then obviously you had a new teammate coming this year in, in Alex Pelot and he kind of hit the ground running immediately in the team and, and won the first race of, of his Chip Ganassi racing career as well. So that must have given you extra motivation seeing, you know, Alex come in and uh, I guess not just motivation to to reach his level, but you you know, you knew that there was going to be three of you that had the potential to, to win races this year and really drive this team forward. So that must have been a big part of, well, I feel like it must have been a big part of, of your success this year. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Alex coming in, we, we knew... He was a very fast driver. We've seen some some flashes of that in his his rookie year. So I think we all knew he was going to be fast, but I don't think anyone expected him to go and win the first race. You know that was pretty impressive. Uh, but yeah, to be honest, I think the whole the whole dynamic within the team uh, with me and Alex and Scott and and also Jimmy and TK has really it's been it's been really cool to be part of. You know the way we work together, the way we push each other to be better. The way we very are open, you know, in the engineering room, and I think that's been a big uh, reason why we've been so strong and why we have three cars in the top five in the championship is is the fact that we've been working so well together, and uh, and that's been yeah been really cool to be part of. And uh, like you said, Scott is is you know the best, probably the best ever in the car driver in 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 the history of in the car, and, and you know just the fact to be a teammate with him is it's a great honor, and you know you can always learn a lot from him. But, uh, but I feel like the, the mix of sort of experiences that we have within the team with, with me from F1, with Alex, with all the stuff he's done in his career, and then, then Scott, TK, and Jimmy, you know, it's, it's a pretty impressive mix of experiences there. And if we all try and use each other in, 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 in that, I think it's going to make us stronger like we've shown this year. So, I mean, from the beginning of the season, you guys have all, the, the three of you in particular have been quite competitive everywhere you've gone. I think there was some 
questions going in, you know, with three different drivers with three, you know, very different backgrounds, would you guys have different driving styles? Would that get in the way of, you know, finding, finding a, a setup direction that fits for all of you guys? It seems like that hasn't been an issue. I'm curious just what your perspective on that has been, you know, particularly with Alex coming into the fray this year. Yeah. So me and Scott, we saw already last year that we drive quite a similar car and we sort of like the same things from the car. So we, we've been able to work very closely together and sort of help each other out. And then, and that's been really good. I think with Alex coming in, he, he do have a bit of a different driving style and he sort of wants some stuff different from the car than what me and Scott likes. So that's been sort of, yeah, you would think it was going to be a challenge, but it's almost been like, helping us out even getting better you know because alex sees things from a bit of a different perspective and, and feel things from a di different way so that's been really sort of i think helping me and scott as well to sort of Im improve so it's been pretty interesting I, I thought when i saw alex and the way he drives i thought it was going to be a bit difficult but he also you know in general likes the same direction like me and scott but then it's more in the details he's it's a bit different so it's been it's been interesting to sort of see that and it also shows that some places where Maybe me and Scott are struggling a little bit. Alex could be really strong or the other way around. So it's, uh, I think as a team, it's good to have that and not only have drivers that are, you know, liking the exact same things. You've come from F1. We know that, you know, obviously for, for every race car driver these days, fitness is a big part of just what's part of your job. Right. And, uh, we've, we've heard, we understand that you've taken yours sort of to a new level in 2021. Um, how has that affected your performance? You think overall, and, and just talk us through that process a little bit. Yeah, I think the fitness side of things, uh, I, I got quite big into it in, in F1. And then, you know, I have my personal trainer, Alex, that I've been working with since I started in F1. So we were like in the eighth grade together. So we, yeah, we we, we have a pretty uh, serious schedule or whatever you want to say. And been been working quite quite a lot on that. And I think especially in IndyCar these days, you know, the cars are really tough to drive. You know, it's no power steering long races and with the added arrow screen it's obviously very hot in the cockpit so i uh, i felt like you know ever since last year when covid hit and then we got some time there i've really focused even more on the, on the fitness side and then started to cycle a lot which i find it really really good for the endurance to build up the, the basic endurance and and i do that a lot you know we i do the strength training with um uh, with Alex, my trainer, but then I do a lot of cycling as well, just for, for the endurance, the basic endurance. And I feel like races like Nashville or the 500 and, and long races, uh, that basic uh, endurance is really can make a difference. There's obviously a few contenders for your kind of drive of the season and some of the kind of best performances that you've had that we've not really touched on yet. Mid-Ohio, where you kind of gapped the field and, and reeled in Joseph right to the end there and, and made that a really close race at the end when it looked like Joseph was totally in the distance and you reeled him in. Detroit was the, the first IndyCar win that you'd been looking for for, for a little while and, and something that was obviously a big motivation for you as it would be any driver in your situation coming into a new series and wanting to win. And then the the Nashville flight to delight, I'm calling it, where you uh, obviously held off Colton at the end as well, which was, you know, I'm, I, I know you said after the race that you felt like that was one of the best uh, kind of performances of your career over, a, you know, if you're going to pick a small part of a race, that was a, obviously a very difficult thing for you to do there to try and hold Colton off on on fresher tyres and, and stuff like that. So what, what stands out to you as, as the best? What's been the most enjoyable? Are they two different questions or are they both the, the same answer, the, the best or the most enjoyable? Yeah, I think it's difficult to, Pick maybe I think uh, the, the three races you you mentioned there is it's been very 
important for me in different different ways. I think the Detroit win, it was all obviously the sort of breakthrough that I needed. Uh, I felt like, uh, you know, like I said before, I think I've sort of been getting closer and closer to that first win, but to actually get it, it's, uh, I think it's important for your confidence and for everything. Uh, so, so that first win was very, very special and very emotional for me. But then from then on, you know, I've been feeling really, really strong. And, and I think the mid-Ohio weekend was probably my best weekend overall in IndyCar, which, you know, really strong qualifying and then a really strong race where, where me and Joseph, like you said, was the class of the field that day, you know, and really pulling away from, from the rest of them. So that was a really, really strong weekend. But then I think if you focus on like a specific performance, I think them last 25 laps of, of that Detroit um, Nashville race where I, when I managed to help, held up uh, Colton was probably my best sort of performance probably in my career i would say so so that was pretty pretty cool but uh as always in racing you know you're never better than your last race i better, better focus on keep keep doing it for, for the rest of the year yeah copy that so what is it about street circuits for you you had the macau record for years um you've always seemed to be able to prefer just kind of show up and perform at those types of circuits uh you know obviously coming up in the states you're racing on them a lot so uh what is it about that type of track that's clicked for you I think all, all my career, I always liked the, the tracks that has uh, small margins for errors. I think that's uh, adding something to, to racing that I think these new modern tracks sort of takes away. You think about Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, Kota, these types of tracks where you have so much runoff areas and then asphalt runoff areas and where you can sort of go out and go over the limits straight away in practice and sort of dialed back and, and you know you have so much margins for for errors and i think that sort of changes a bit the way you have to your mindset as a racing driver and i've always sort of enjoyed the, the more old school style uh, tracks like uh, suzuka or spa or tracks like that where it doesn't have that much margin for errors and obviously a street course is is the biggest place where you, you cannot put a wheel wrong because then you're in the wall so I think that's why I've always liked uh, the street course racing and, and the fact that you need to sort of build up through the weekend, try and find the limit of the car. And then, you know, if you go a little bit over, you're going you're gonna to bite you. So I, I like that challenge and the, the sort of mindset you need to have on, on, on that, them race weekends. And that's why I think also I, I really like the ovals because the ovals is, is a bit similar there, obviously, that you, you, you need to build up to it and, and, and sort of balance and dance on the limit of the grip. And, and I think that's a cool thing with racing that I, I really enjoy. Yeah, I guess, Marcus, if there's been kind of any downside to the season, really, it's been it's been qualifying. And I know that's something you've been working on a lot since you've been in IndyCar to, to try and improve. And it's maybe one of the reasons why people don't necessarily always see how good your performances have been in a race, because, you know, sometimes you've got some, some great drives, but you're coming from, you know, maybe like 18th, 17th on the grid to the top 10, where that's obviously a very difficult thing to do, but people are more focused on maybe the top five cars instead of looking a bit further back. So tell us a little bit about what the, the kind of, you know, what you've been working on for, for qualifying and, and how you like where you're up to with that basically and, and how it's going for you. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely been my sort of biggest uh, weakness here in IndyCar uh, since I came over used to, to get the qualifying uh, results needed. And I think that's been a big area where I, I feel like I've improved a bit this year and that's been definitely helping my, my results, but I'm still obviously working on, on improving that because I know that if I can qualify a bit higher up, I, I definitely have the race craft and race pace to, to, to fight for wins or podiums on, on, on every weekend. So 
Uh, it's been a challenge. I think the biggest thing for me coming from very high downforce cars in Formula One with tire warmers and, and um, Pirelli tires was a very certain way of how you qualify and what the car felt like on, on in qualifying. And coming here to IndyCar is very different with no tire warmers and, and the Firestone tires behave differently. And, and the cars with very little downforce compared to modern F1 cars, it's just a very different feel. And I've been struggling a lot to sort of get that feeling that I feel like I need I, uh, to, to be able to sort of feel where the, the um, limit of the grip uh, is in, in qualifying on low fuel. And I've felt like in, in, in races where you sort of go a bit, uh, obviously, full tanks and, and everything is, is a bit of a different uh, way of driving. It's been, it's been suiting me very well. But yeah, I'm still sort of trying to figure out... Uh, how to maximize qualifying and it's been something i've been working a lot with my engineer uh, on and i think he's sort of started to understand what he needs to give me to get everything out of me in qualifying and i think mid ohio was a good example of that where he sort of managed to give me a car which i really felt like i could trust even on low fuel and then you know we, we showed that we can qualify right after so it's, it's still something that we're working on and we know that's the probably biggest area we need to improve uh, to be able to really um, fight for the championship here in the end of the year so so yeah that's it's been a focus area and we're focusing on it and we're making improvements but we need to keep doing it i have a, sort of a a bit of a, a question on a tangent i'm curious if you've talked to kevin magnuson much since he's come over obviously you guys are in the same you know general and the same same team on different sides of the fence in terms of what you guys are doing but uh, it, it, the reason I ask is because some of your comments there about coming from F1 to coming and driving the Indy car, like a lower downforce car, the way the tire behaves, that kind of stuff. I heard some sort of chatter, I guess, of Kevin having similar comments coming and driving the DPI car, just that you'd sort of think maybe from a fan's perspective, you'd think, oh, well, the car's got less downforce. It's moving around more. Surely that's helpful to understand where the limit of the car is. But in fact, it's, it's really not because it's just, it's, it's like, you don't have a feel for where that limit is in the F1 car. I guess I assume that it's, it's more, uh, it's a bit more obvious where the actual limit of the tire is. Whereas in the Indy car and, and the DPI car, it's kind of always moving around a little bit underneath you. I'm curious if that's a conversation that you've had with him, or, or maybe if you could just indulge us a little bit deeper into that feeling and that difference. Yeah, I've, I've been speaking quite a bit with Kevin on, on different subjects, but yeah, this has been one of them, you know, talking about the differences. And, and I think, like I said, he has experienced some similar things like me there. And I think, um, I think, like I said, the, the thing that in, in, in an F1 car, you know, you need to be so precise and, and you don't want to have any moment of understeer or oversteer on your quality lap because then it's slow or you're going to overheat the, the front or rear axle. So you need to always like look for that perfect balance and then try and be super precise and, and, and smooth in a way, but with some aggressiveness on that qualifying lap and, and, and in the car, you really need to sort of reset your mindset. And, and that thing is like going sideways and understeering <laughs> and oversteering is everything going on. So I think it's been definitely a very different way of driving, especially in qualifying. I think, Still in the races, it sort of rewards you if you are smooth and, and have, you know, control on front and rear axle. And that's why I think for me, it's been very natural in the races to be good on taking care of tires and stuff like that, because it's sort of my natural style. But in, in qualifying, you see guys like Colton, Pato, 
Alex, you know, these guys are hustling these cars around the track and, and that's the fastest way to drive an IndyCar in qualifying. So that's been sort of a challenge for me. And I think a bit like for, for Kevin as well to sort of get used to that and get your head around that. But yeah, I, I, like I said, I feel like I'm making improvements there and I'm going to keep doing that. I think people, just in case anyone who's kind of like a Formula One fan who's picked up on the pod because you're on it and, and obviously they're interested in, in you from, from your time in F1, I think it's worth pointing out that IndyCar is obviously a spec formula and we're seeing like thousands between making it through to the to the top six that graduates to go into the, the shootout for the top 12. So it's almost like a, you know, there's literally thousands of a second between getting through from, let's compare it to like Q1, Q2 and, and Q3 in, in Formula One. Obviously it's not the same number of cars, but, you know, j- just to get into that top six, there, there can be like seven, eight thousandths of a second between you making it and, and not making it. And it's the tiniest little sort of margin for error there that is is really, you know, can be a big problem for for drivers. And I'm sure that's an extremely difficult thing to to kind of deal with on a on a kind of week to week basis. But anyway, you know, we talked a little bit about your kind of prowess on, on the street circuits and we know Long Beach is, you know, somewhere that is, well, it's going to finish the season and it's a street race. So you must be pretty excited to see that one as the last event on the calendar. And if you do have a chance to, to win the championship going into the end of the season, then Long Beach has got to be there with the perfect place to, to kind of finish the season for you. Yeah, definitely. I was actually looking at that or, or thinking about that the, the other day that, you know, if we can put ourselves in a position where we, where we have, have a chance on the championship going into Long Beach, that would be super cool because I know we're going to be strong there and I know I'm going to be strong there. So, yeah, that's definitely the goal to be able to, to have a chance on the championship going there. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Not letting yourself think about it too much at this point, obviously. <laughs> no, I still got to focus on every race. It's uh, still a lot of points. So uh, a lot of things can still happen. But yeah, that would be a really cool end of the year for sure. Okay. And so you're an IndyCar driver. So we just kind of have to ask this question. This this year aside, let's say, however this year plays out, um, if you if you had the options and the only you could only pick one, winning the 500 or winning the championship, which would you choose? So. I've been always saying like the championship, but the more I'm in America and the more time I spend in the like in the car paddock and everything, I sort of understand why everyone's saying the 500. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of I'm getting over to the 500 side of the question now. We're 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 converting you. That's a good thing. All right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think uh, I gotta have to say I I think now I'm saying the 500. Yeah. Well, you always win the the helmet battle for the 500. I think you always, always, I, I guess, is that some, yeah, I'm interested in that. Is that something that you think about a long time before the 500? What what kind of design you go with? Or is it something that comes together quite close to the event? And now it's usually something we work on the month leading up to it. I have uh, Sean Bull, the designer, who is always making some cool projects around it. And he knows that I like like the retro look on, on, on my helmets for the 500. So He's been doing that for the for the last few years, and he's doing a great job on it. And then I have Mikovic, the painter in Belgium, doing a good job finishing them off. So, yeah, they always come out pretty cool. And then, yeah, it's, it's always a fun thing to do something special for the for the five hundred. I think. Awesome. Well, Marcus, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. We can't guarantee that you'll be in our top ten drive rankings at the end of the year, but we'll consider you. <laughs> um, we'll definitely, we'll definitely put you in if you put the race IndyCar podcast on the side of your car for the rest of the season. Uh, perfect, perfect. That's a great deal. Yeah, I mean, at least you can mention me like the, the guys that was maybe close to making the top ten or top fifteen. We'll give you an honorable mention. <laughs> okay, cool, perfect. 
So that was Marcus Ericsson. Always lovely chatting to the super Swede. He had another top 10 at Gateway the weekend before last, taking him to seven top 10s in a row. That's also 10 altogether. And he's one of four drivers to have won more than one race this year. So he's 60 points back with three races to go. So I know JR and I are going to be very interested to see if he can do enough to push his way into the end of season driver rankings and even win the championship. <laughs> at that point, it's probably his main goal. I think he's probably forgotten a little bit about the, the race IndyCar podcast driver ratings is probably more interested in trying to win the championship with Chip Ganassi racing for the first time. So if he wins the championship, I feel like we're going to have to have him in the top 10. Uh, yeah, there's an argument he'd have to go number one if he wins the championship just for the, for the run <laughs> that he's going to have to put together now to, to make that happen. Anyway, it's been a fun episode, but there's no way to escape the fact that the whole of the IndyCar paddock is in mourning following the passing of journalist and broadcaster Robin Miller. JR, I know you had a long, well, you have got a long-standing relationship with Racer and you must have some fun memories of working with him and just being around Robin over the years. Yeah, I think that what really, what's what's always stood out to me from when I was a kid coming up in, you know, my first interaction with Robin was probably when I was racing you know, F2000 at a champ car race somewhere. So the thing that's taking a little bit of a step back from what we kind of know Robin to be like in over the last, even just in the last decades since the convergence of champ car and IndyCar was, was always the perspective that he had, you know, we know him, we, we kind of, he's, he's been able to, he, he had been able to dig in as, as sort of that true historian with like real world experience from back in the sixties and seventies and eighties with all of these guys in what a lot of people still consider to be the height of indie style racing. It's obviously gone through a bunch of different uh, nomenclatures over the years, but AJ and the Bettenhausen's and Rick Mears going, you know, he, he saw the progression of these different eras into what we now know as modern day IndyCar racing and I think that Robin, it was, he, he made no bones about the fact that he thought the split was one of the things that had the chance to just completely destroy open wheel racing in the United States in the first place. He made, you know, there was no qualms about talking about that and who he thought was at fault. And, and he certainly sided on the, on the champ car side of things in terms of where it went and who the people were, who the people were that were involved. That was sort of the era of getting to know Robin Miller that, that I grew up in. And a lot of us have, you know, just over the last 20 or 30 years. That obviously made him a bigger enemy on the Indianapolis side of things as well, didn't it? So that was obviously right. a big, big part of the story. Yeah. And, and so, and, and again, his, his just attitude was not to pull any punches. Right. So when he, you know, he, he felt like the whole thing was unnecessary in the first place and right, wrong, or otherwise we can, we can all look back on the sort of 20 year history of, of split up open wheel racing in the States and point fingers and kind of have some, there's, there's plenty of perspectives to have on it at this point, none of which at this stage matter basically now that everything's back together and and it just is what it is. But, you know, Robin became became sort of known for his opinions, I think, in a more modern history of motorsports because of that. And it's honestly, it's, it's been, it was so cool to me once, once things came back together, it was almost like that, that allowed for seeing AJ back at the track and seeing, you know, everybody all in the same place again, after a bit of, we'll call it just healing, I guess, all that's all of that stuff you know, you, you realized the strength of the relationships that Robin had 
with all of these, you know, individuals who had been a part of the IRL for, for 20 years then at that point, just from, from everything that had gone on before that. And that was one of the things that I think as somebody who kind of grew up in, in the motorsport media space with him being such a polarizing figure on the, you know, sort of on the champ car side of things, that was, that was a kind of a shock in some ways to just realize that he knew all of the folks on the, on the IRL side so well. And, uh, you know, like any, any, like anybody in motorsports that you get to know over, over a longer period of time, he was just the type of person that you, know, you gain, I gained more and more respect for those relationships that he had and his ability to kind of separate, <laughs> separate the people that he knew from what his opinions on the sport were. And um, he really is, and, and has been for some time now, sort of the gold standard uh, in the U S of just telling it like it is and being able to still have a, you know, have a, have a beer or a joke with you about, everything that's going on behind the scenes on behind the scenes offline. So um, just a, an incredible figure for us to all have gotten to know. And, uh, you know, he'll certainly be missed. I think it's, it's a void that nobody's going to be able to come in and come in and fill. So we're all better for, for having to gotten to know him. I think Robin would probably hate this cliche, but I, I really like the fact that every end has a beginning and, while Robin is obviously no longer with us, I can't imagine the number of people, of course, journalists, but other people too, that Robin has inspired into open wheel racing in the States over such a long period, as you said, you know, with your, you know, your experience going back to the split, but obviously before that and after that, he's inspired thousands and thousands of people to either to watch the sport, to, to digest it, whatever it might be to work in it. And, and for that, he will, he will definitely never be forgotten. I didn't know Robin personally. I'm one of those people who will always wish that they had, but something I always respected him for is despite loving the history of the sport, he was always willing to stick up for, for change if it made sense. And whether it was safety improvements or just people kind of looking back with rose tinted spectacles, let's call it, uh, and Robin then opening their eyes again to, to the reality of, you know, not everything's always perfect in the olden days kind of thing. That's a fantastic trait for, for an older journalist to have, be able to love the past, but also accept the future and we can all learn something from that and we definitely wish our best to, to robin's friends and family at this time that's the end of this week's episode we'll be back next week to preview the portland race which kicks off a three race battle for the championship it's so close that it is definitely a championship robin miller will have been proud to report on with a worthy winner whoever takes the spoils at the end so we'll catch you all next week <laughs>